Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Adam Franica. And I'm your other host, Ben Harrison. Oh, listen to that. It's becoming as much our sound effect as it is the flop houses. <laughs> Should we just open some cards? <laughs> yeah, let's open some cards. Are you opening a pack? Yeah, I'm opening a pack. All right. Um... First is for an episode called The First Duty. Oh, this is that one where uh, Wesley Crusher and Tom Paris get in big trouble because they did a bad maneuver and got one of their, their wingmen killed. Remember that episode? You can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's no good. I think that's where that whole uh, The First Duty of Every Starfleet Officer is to the Truth jag comes from. Yeah, it's, it's too bad Wesley the boy. couldn't use his traveler powers to save that kid's life. Yeah, <laughs> he's the Mozart of uh, of warp of warp design, but not of uh, piloting. Apparently, he's not a great Starfleet Blue Angels pilot. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one. It's it's card number one. It's Encounter at Farpoint Part One. I guess that means there's a Part Two card also. It does it have the blanket, the Pendleton blanket? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. It's got Picard in in profile, and then a like a over top shot of the Enterprise with like a concentric series of rainbow rings on the saucer section. These cards are so fucking cool. <laughs> They're so new wavy and yeah, they, fun. Like I would totally get posters of this. Yeah. If if and when I ever have a man cave. Mm. Uh, here's one for an episode called The Masterpiece Society. It's a Another overtop shot of the Enterprise. Looks like it's flying past a planet. Oh, this is from that one where they have to stop a uh, chunk of a, a star that's going to destroy a planet. They're always oh. doing that. Yeah. Oh, here's one for Samaritan Snare. This is kind of fun. It's a silhouette of Geordi. The Enterprise is in white against the silhouette, and there's an eyeball on the saucer section, and then there's a fish hook dangling down trying to catch the enterprise the titular snare <laughs> yeah it's a really a real deep ab- abstraction of the premise of the episode i like it last one is hero worship oh yeah this is that one where they uh find a, a kid that's like trapped on a in in wreckage uh, mm-hmm. of, a, of a ship that went down yeah, it's just it's. A, I think it's data on a uh, on a pedestal and a and a small child looking up at him, much the way I put Wesley Crusher on a pedestal when I was a small child. You certainly did. <laughs> and um, soon enough, people will will be putting Wesley on their bodies. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully by this point in time, we'll be inching ever closer to 500 iTunes votes, which will unlock our ability to print t-shirts you're going to put that thing on and parade around like one of them yeah and uh, if people want to enter our contest just take a screenshot of your five-star review and send it to drunk shimoda plus contest at gmail.com and uh, you're automatically entered to win both in the random selection and in the meritocracy there's two opportunities to win a shirt one is for funniest 
and one is for just a random pick. And there's one opportunity to win two shirts, it sounds like. Because if, oh, you, yeah. if you win the meritocracy and then on the next roll you hit the lotto, yeah. that'd be kind of amazing. That would be amazing. That would be people, like that would be like you pulling two signature cards out in in succession. It would be like doing some sort of uh, listener poll and then not doing anything about the result. <laughs> <laughs> we took it under advisement. Did you see that people are buying Biff Yeager cards on eBay? <laughs> I did see that. <laughs> I think they are pushing up the value of that card. I really hope that we get one. I want to get a natural Jaeger, to be yeah. honest. Like, I do not want to buy a Biff Yeager. Here's, here, the two ways I'll accept getting a Jaeger are opening a packet that one is inside or meeting Biff Jaeger and him giving me one as like a token, as like a challenge coin of having met Biff Jaeger. Oh, God. I totally believe the idea of Biff Jaeger walking around in a denim vest that he then <laughs> like opens up like a watch salesman in Times Square and he just brandishes a ton of signed Biff Jaeger cards. Oh, boy, this is not interesting. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. Not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. So, episode 20 of season two, peak performance. Or as I'm calling it, Star Trek laser tag. It is kind of Star Trek laser tag. Not a, not a bad comparison. So, uh, the Enterprise has been sort of bullied into taking part in some some simulated combat to uh by uh, Starfleet command and and Picard's like not crazy about it but this alien is the Zakdorn master strategist Sirna Kolrami he's like the master master military strategist that the federation has sent to to help whip the enterprise crew into shape for any combat that they might encounter and Kolrami is also reputed to be a master of a game called Stratagema, not to be confused with Stratego. So this guy Kolrami is brought in as sort of a Robert McNamara figure. Like he's <laughs> he's sort of like a, he looks like a melted soft serve ice cream cone. Yeah, he's super melty. He's but he's got like the comic book guy personality from The Simpsons. Sure. Like he's extremely condescending because the whole idea is like they got whooped so bad by the Borg in their first interaction that like somehow a war game with a 40-year-old starship is going to somehow whip the Enterprise into shape uh, tactically. What exactly are they supposed to learn here? I totally agree. Like it it if it's if it's about Borg preparedness, this is not the kind of I mean, I guess, I guess if the Enterprise is the best ship in the fleet, there's nothing that they can really do to simulate something tougher than it. Yeah. Um, but it is a strange choice. There's a lot of grumbling, like, you know, nobody is really into the idea of this. Uh, you know, Worf, Worf hates the idea. Worf hates the idea that this whiny, shuffly little man that's... Uh, poking around the ship is supposed to be some kind of advanced warrior. It's it's sort of the Remick problem again, right? Like, every time the Enterprise crew is introduced to someone who is supposed to be their superior in any way, everyone just kind of resents it, yeah. you know? Like, who who is this guy to tell us what to do? Like, right. they really have a problem with authority. 
Yeah, Picard is supposed to be their daddy, and anybody that kind of has anything on Picard is not welcome aboard. So it might sound like this story isn't solid because, I mean, we've already poked a great big hole in it. Just the, mm-hmm. I- just the idea on its face doesn't seem like it makes a ton of sense. However, the story that follows I, f- I thought was really fun and yeah, satisfying. Totally. So the idea is... Riker gets to pick his his, uh, dodgeball team of Enterprise crewmen and bring them over to this old ship. And he's supposed to staff this old ship, get it up and running, so that it can play laser tag with the Enterprise. Right, so they're like disconnecting all the weapons and uh, plugging in uh, laser laser blasters that don't inflict damage but will register, you know, like the ship will kind of simulate as though that section was in fact blown up and shut it down. Yeah, they're putting like big light up vests on both ships. Yeah, and uh, and the Hathaway, what is love? the ship that they're going to be taking the Enterprise on in, is decommissioned. It's like it's essentially been all but scuttled in or- orbit of this planet, and so the forty eight hours leading up to the game are all about Riker and Worf and Jordy and and Wesley like fixing it up to combat readiness because you know like the the warp engine is offline like the when they beam over like none of the lights on the on the bridge are on and there's like wires and crap strewn everywhere this place is a dump it's really like an art director's dream yeah Uh, this whole setup it's great i mean it's a really good bridge like they really know how to do a dope bridge even if it's a single use set you know yeah it's great i mean it's it's sort of like the house that's been boarded up mm-hmm. on the street for like 20 years with the with the weeds growing up in front of the, the windows. It's like that level of disrepair. Meanwhile, there's a B storyline going where uh, this uh, this game that this uh, Kolrami guy is supposed to be so great at is... Uh, apparently they have a setup for it in 10 Forward, and so Riker challenges him to... A game of stratagema. I enjoy a challenge. And is drubbed, like, immediately. Like, And there's a pretty funny scene where Riker and Jordy are, like, walking to 10 forward where Riker's about to take on Kolrami, and Jordy is like, so, you going to kick his ass, Commander? And he's like, nope, I'm going to lose. <laughs> and uh, he explains to Jordy that the honor is in playing the game at all. I was pretty surprised with how badly Riker lost because just to like set the scene for what this game looks like the two players sit across sort of a a Pac-Man arcade game at a pizza parlor yeah, style the, it, table it's the one that sometimes you have to ask people to get up with their pizza because right. it's also a table <laughs> yeah and they put like five cow milkers on each hand on each yeah. finger on ev- on each hand and they're and definitely like actually cow milkers right like they have yeah. they have like milk tubes attached to them they couldn't possibly be anything else <laughs> and uh and a a hologram pops up in front of them that sort of spins around and really it's a totally inscrutable game the only part of it that makes sense is the score that yeah. you see in the upper corner of the screen and and when you watch Riker play Kolrami, I mean, Kolrami's score is just rocketing towards a thousand and Riker's stuck on like 60. And it was really disappointing because Riker is a guy I would expect to have really good finger dexterity. Yeah. 
we're 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 given like a mystique for the the type of alien that Kolrami is by Data when he explains to Worf that they've remained unattacked for nine thousand years because they have such a such a badass reputation as as strategists. It's sort of like prison reputation rules. Yeah. A guy gets a rep for stabbing a guy in the dick and <laughs> and he's and that guy's left alone for the entire length of his sentence. Like mm-hmm. that's sort of the rep for this guy's race. Yeah. For 9,000 years. Yeah. What did they do to go to prison that long? I don't know. They definitely like they're not as advanced in fashion as they are in uh, in strategy. Yeah, they might. <laughs> this dude is wearing like essentially like a a coffee sack <laughs> with like a space brooch. <laughs> that space brooch game is strong. <laughs> so let's go over who Riker has picked for dodgeball. He picks Jordy because this ship really needs a lot of engineering help. Yeah, and Jordy's like, I already packed my lunchbox. Right. And he picks Worf because he clearly needs a a sound tactician at his side. Right. And then, strangely, he picks Wesley. The boy? Right. Because, I guess, I don't know, he likes field trips, as any student would. (laughs) He just, he knew that the kid needed a break from Picard's coming around his bedroom at all hours of the night. Yeah. I mean, kids love laser tag. (laughs) Yeah. And that, along with a random blonde lady, I think are the only people that Riker picks. <laughs> yeah. Random blonde lady who is not up to the, like, two lines that she has given. Not up to delivering those in a naturalistic way. Random blonde lady totally gave me Laura Dern vibes. Yeah, but she's like, she's like low rent ass Laura Dern. <laughs> That's some broke ass Laura Dern. <laughs> Okay, so the here's what the Hathaway is up against. The team gets over there. They're able to, like, get the power going and get the ship more or less operational, but they're not going to have any warp power, which is a real big bummer, you know, especially if you wanted to pull a Picard maneuver. And then the other thing that they're trying to deal with is the fact that, you know, even though the weapons are all simulated, like, this ship is less maneuverable and less well-armed even in simulation than the Enterprise. So they want to, like, come up with some kind of edge that they can use in in the battle. So Worf comes up with this idea that they'll, like, trick the Enterprise into thinking that there's another ship there, and they'll use this distraction to, like, get off some cheap shots. Everyone on the Hathaway knows that the only way that they're going to uh, beat the Enterprise in a war game is through some sort of trickery. And so Worf proposes the idea of of hacking into the Enterprise computer sensors and uh, throwing up a false positive on on, a, on another ship that's attacking it. Right. Worf seems to think that he can just hack into the Enterprise as if it's like a Hotmail password or something. <laughs> yeah, it's just password. It's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. There's a lot of Picard, like, you know, walking around wringing his hands, worried about the prep for... For getting the Enterprise ready, and Kolrami just keeps going like, like you're an idiot to even be worried about this. This ship is going to lose. And Picard is like, no, like Riker is a substantial opponent, and he is going to find a way to come at us in a way that we don't expect. And so I want to be ready for anything. And um, there, there's a lot of like talk about this, you know, like there's a big extended scene with with Counselor Troy and 
data, like talking about the psychology that Riker will be bringing to bear in this uh, attack, which is really great because up to that point in this episode, her only function seems to have been putting milk suckers on people's fingers. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, because the the doctor, having seen Kolrami play this game, sort of dupes Data into a situation where Data has challenged Kolrami to a, a, a match of Stratagema. And they play in front of everybody. And we should say that like when... When people are playing this game, they're just sitting with their hands sort of like out as though they're about to to clap, but with all these like cables coming off of all their fingers, and they're just like wiggling their fingers in midair, and then Begin. a dozen crew members are standing around going like, yeah, oh, oh, you could get him, get him, get him, Data, oh, you could go for it, oh, 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 ah. It's somehow like less interesting than watching Watson play Jeopardy. <laughs> It is so bad, so yeah. bad. It's like, it's it's a real like black mark on an otherwise like pretty decent episode. It really feels like like if you were to go like I don't even know if there are video arcades out there anymore, but like if you were to go to one today yeah. and you were to watch kids play a video game that you didn't understand, yeah, that's the amount of satisfaction you get watching these scenes. Like you just you can't make sense of it. Yeah, there's there's no like there's no apparent object to the game at all. It's really like you you think they could have spent like 15 minutes coming up with a better thing. For a show that does so much world building, it seems like game building might be more difficult. They really fail at it like consistently across the entire series. Yeah, but I mean the main takeaway from this scene is Kolrami sort of dusts data pretty hard. A computer beaten by flesh and blood? And it's not even close. Data gets a lot further than Riker does, but it's not its not good. I am at your disposal for a rematch. Thank you. But what would be the point? It's not a good look. And Data recuses himself from duty after this because uh, he feels like if he can't beat a an organic, then... He shouldn't, he shouldn't be in service because it, it means that there's something wrong with him. It really speaks to his air of superiority, like in a way that he doesn't really demonstrate himself in any other way. Like, it's really the come to Jesus moment for him. Totally. As far as like, am I better than everyone else? I can't be if I can't beat this fucking guy. <laughs> this guy's super annoying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm great at milking cows. It is a guiding principle with Darth Vader's face. You can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. All right, so back to the A storyline briefly. They come up with this idea that if they had some antimatter, they could get the tiny little fragments of dilithium that they have to react and give them a little bit of warp energy, which would be a big surprise that they could pull on the Enterprise. And if they have two surprises in their pocket, like, you know, it's still not a fair fight, but they have a better chance. So Wesley pulls this gambit where he's going to beam aboard the Enterprise and get his science experiment, which is in like a, a dish cupboard in in the engineering section. Like It's over in the Shimoda corner, right? It is. And what's great about this scene is that he's escorted there by by someone we're, we're introduced to as Lieutenant Burke. Who yeah. is the substitute security officer uh, in Worf's absence? 
yeah. who's got like super David Caruso vibes. I have very strong associations with him as like the head of the Secret Service detail in, in twenty four. In twenty four, yeah, yeah, and uh, he was great on that show. I feel like he's played like Secret Service a bunch and like military guys a bunch. Yeah, uh, he's a good actor, uh, Glenn Morshower. I really dig his deal. He is real young in this. Like, if you look at like what Patrick Stewart looks like standing next to him in in shots on this show and then if you looked at them today you'd be like wow patrick stewart hasn't aged even a moment and glenn morshower has aged 35 years yeah i mean he looks almost prepubescent in in star trek compared to how he looks in 24 yeah looks like a totally different person so anyways this uh this gambit of wesley's is successful but he gets back aboard the hathaway and Riker's like wes you cheated Riker wants to turn the chair around and be like (laughs) Wes, let me tell you about playing fair and square. <laughs> yeah. And like, and like, Jordy is clearly like, awkward. Because <laughs> he like, he like sticks his head under the dilithium chamber and is like, I'm just back here working and not a part of this part of the conversation. <laughs> Even though Jordy was totally party to the plan from the start. Totally. He was, he's like, uh, he's like, I don't even know that guy, officer. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know him. <laughs> when Riker realizes that the, this is actually going to give them an edge, he totally forgives the quasi-criminal act that that Wesley has has perpetrated. Are we good? You're better than good. Great. Brilliant. It's going to be fun. Carry on. About 200 times before the game pops off, Jordy makes a point of like walking around his console and like standing in front of Riker and going like, we don't know if this mm-hmm. is even going to work. Okay. Yeah. He's not very confident in the system as it is right now. And for some reason, like Wes has no opinion at all about his experiments efficacy and if it'll work under these circumstances, which right. I thought was a little weird too. Yeah. Like it's all on Jordy to have it set up. <laughs> right. Well, maybe Wes is just like, well, you're not going to fucking get my back when Riker starts breathing down my neck. Maybe you can fucking fix the fucking warp engine yourself, asshole. Right, right. Jordy's never been a confidence man, though. <laughs> I think we know that. So they get the the game underway, and pretty quickly, the Enterprise is distracted by the fact that a Romulan warbird has come up from behind and is, uh, is, is stepping to them in a very aggro way. And Kohlrahmi is, like, really... Is, is really delighted to see that the uh, the Hathaway what is love? has scored the first several hits uh, of the match. And uh, it's it's described as, like, pretty severe but not debilitating damage that they've virtually inflicted to the Enterprise. Yeah, I mean, everyone on the Enterprise sort of has that clever girl moment from <laughs> Jurassic Park. And Riker yeah. is, like, like, draped over... The command chair on the Hathaway, by the way, like yeah. his his uh, posture of command is just full spread, full man spread. Like my balls are the size of footballs, and I need my legs to not be touching them. We can't be sure he doesn't have scoliosis. <laughs> <laughs> but not uh, not long after this this little this little first gambit uh, unfolds. Uh, before the Enterprise has another ship coming up on them, and they detect it, and they're like, great, another fucking fake ship. Good job, Mr. Worf. And then this ship opens up on them and actually, like, is shooting 
hot rounds at them. Continue the simulation. And yeah. it is a Ferengi warship. Which I think for the first time in the series is the moment where the Ferengi have been threatening in right. actuality. Totally. This is uh, a fun a fun one because this is, uh, I think, the first appearance by Armin Shimmerman, who goes on to be a main cast character in Deep Space Nine. He's playing uh, Daimon Braktor, who's uh, really bewildered by the idea of a, of a war game. Why was your ship combative with another Federation vessel of lesser design? And why do you now protect your former target? The only thing his feeble Ferengi brain can, can think of is that there's something valuable on that other ship and... They want the Enterprise to fuck off so that they can claim it. My love is a people longing still for that which longer nurses the This is one thing that happens that I feel like is kind of a bummer in Star Trek, which is the amount of damage a ship sustains is always perfectly tuned to what the plot is going to be about. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, our weapons are fused, so we can't f- switch back to actual phasers. And our shields are up, so we can't beam everybody back over. And There's a tat for every tit. Yeah, and it's it's just like, I feel like there could be an artful way to do it, but they didn't quite do it here. And it just feels like, okay, great. Like, every recourse you would possibly have for dealing with these idiots has been fucked up by the fact that they scored a couple of cheap shots on you. You're right. It's It just speaks to a convenience of of challenge that just aligns perfectly to both the problem and the solution to follow. And they come up with a pretty creative solution in the 10 Earth minutes they're given by the Ferengi, <laughs> which is also, like, another classic bad guy move, like... Like I've got you on the ropes. I could I could destroy you and get exactly what I want right now, but instead I will give you 10 minutes to regroup and <laughs> think, think of a way it. to defeat me. <laughs> Which also I think maybe speaks to how stupid the Ferengi are. Right. Man, poor Armin Shimmerman. Do you think he was in the makeup chair for this episode and I was like, "All right. Another acting job on Star Trek. This is great." <laughs> and then an hour later in the makeup chair, he's like, "God, this fucking sucks, actually. Like, <laughs> I still have two more hours to go in this makeup chair. Well, yeah. at least it's a job. And uh, then, like, do you think he could imagine that he would have, like, another 12 years of putting on those fucking ears? <laughs> the ears and the butt head? Yeah. Oh, man. Pretty rough. What a moment. So here's the plan that the, they come up with. The Enterprise manages to get a handful of photon torpedoes back online. And what they're going to do is launch them at the Hathaway. The Hathaway is going to use its very limited and, at, as Jordy is at pains to insist, at all times, uncertain warp capabilities. And they're going to they're gonna blow up the torpedoes right as the, as the Hathaway warps out of the spot. And that will make it look as though the Hathaway's been blown up and the Ferengi will be convinced that whatever was valuable on it has also been destroyed. It's so fucking bonkers because they're... I mean, this is their only plan and they're basing it on Jordy's terrible idea of its success. I think I hate this plan. Jordy is not confident at all. If I'm Riker, I'm probably shitting my pants at this point. 
Right. Like, is this really the best we can do? If the warp engines fail to function, the result could be unfortunate. Very unfortunate. We will be dead. But Riker is not shitting his pants. He is brimming with confidence. What the hell? Nobody said life was safe. So they, they throw this plan into action. They make it look like the Hathaway's blown up. The Ferengi are completely blindsided by how stupid the Federation is getting rid of something as valuable as whatever it was. And then the Hathaway comes in behind them. The Ferengi decide that they've been outmatched and they they split. Pretty satisfying end. Like the gambit worked. High fives all around. Yeah. I think there are no losers because the game got stopped in the middle. I don't think Riker or Picard feels like they lost the war game specifically because they were able to join forces against right. a common enemy. It was fun. And it was it, it all went in a way where Kolrami underestimated them time and time again. Like Kolrami was like, "Get out of here." leave those idiots on the other ship to to their doom like we got to save a thousand lives here and and uh Picard and Riker team up and and show that the teamwork uh outdoes strategy every time Riker once again demonstrates that he should be a captain but would rather not be yeah they're all put back together and uh data challenges Kolrami to one more strategema and this time like the scores are just completely off the charts it's like 3000 to you know, 3,500 or something. And Kolrami gets totally, totally frustrated and pulls all the, all the milk suckers off his fingers and storms off. And, you know, he says, you have made a mockery of me. And they're like, how'd you do it, Data? Like, I mean, that's like the longest a game of Stratagema has ever, has ever gone. And Data says that he changed his, his premise for play, not to try and win, but to try and stop Kolrami from winning and uh, in so doing could indefinitely play the game I busted him up (laughs) that is the like laugh line on which the episode concludes Data got his groove back (laughs) yeah it was a pretty decent episode I thought definitely not without its flaws but uh, you know holds your interest there's some fun fun and games and uh like not a non-annoying appearance by the Ferengi. Like the Ferengi being Ferengi and doing what Ferengi do, but not in a way that made me like want to crawl out of my skin and leave. Right, right. They feel a little bit more developed as a threat. Yeah, they actually have a bridge on their ship this time, which is a nice change of pace from the... Instead of seamless white. White seamless that they usually yeah. have. Yeah, that was a good touch. Yeah. They, they felt a little complete this time. Yeah. I really like this episode. I am a total sucker for a war game, a war game episode of any television series. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. And the and the combat is is cool. Like the ships like flying around and lasering each other, and the Romulan ships swooping in all looked really good. And and it was it was fun from a special effects standpoint. Yeah, this was another uh, big success for the remastered version too, because the old ship looked awesome. Totally. All of the battle scenes look great. This sort of delivered on the promise of all that remastering. Absolutely. Uh, did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda while watching the episode? I would just be curious to hear yours first. Yeah, you always go first, huh? 
I mean, uh, sometimes. Sometimes I sometimes I ask for yours. Sometimes we go at the same time. <laughs> sometimes we touch tips. Uh, my Shimoda is actually Worf. Because I'm not sure he doesn't have a profound gambling problem. This is, <laughs> this is the second time he's bet on a fellow crewman in some sort of sport. If you'll remember, he bet on Tasha Yar. Yeah. During the uh, the cage match. And and both times they imply that there's like a gambling culture on the ship where there's a ship's yeah. pool and and like he has bet in in that pool. So he bet on Yar and won. He bets on Riker and loses. He's clearly really good at poker. He was on a heater the last time he played poker yeah. before they got called out of the game. Like he might be the best gambler on the ship. I'm excited to see where this this goes as a character development. Me too. Uh, let's see how he does at Dabo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, think... I get that reference. <laughs> My drunk Shimoda is Burke, the tactical ensign that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. yeah. He's obviously new to the job. Like it's the first time we've we've seen him. Like a lot of the Dustbuster Club guys that we're used to seeing are absent in this episode. And and when Wesley beams over, Burke is tasked with escorting him around the ship. And he really lets Wesley steal antimatter while he is watching, which is a real drunk Shimoda move. And it happens in the Jim Shimoda Memorial Corner, nonetheless. It seems like a security guy would be more interested in controlling the antimatter than uh, he is. Look, uh, is this going to take much longer? I guess he was just really excited to get back to his post. He's never there, right? Right. <laughs> God, and why stick him on Wesley duty? I don't know. Yeah, I dug his whole deal. This is the only time we see him, right? I think, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he comes back. I have a, uh, actually have a second Shimoda for this episode. Whoa. Um, and it is Are we Pat allowed to do this? Well, this is a special circumstance. All right. The second, second Shimoda in this episode is Sir Patrick Stewart. Hmm. If, uh, if you go to, uh, 23 minutes and 23 seconds of this, uh, of this episode, you will see a shot in which I believe Patrick Stewart has a hickey on his neck. What the fuck? I shit you not. I've, I've, uh, I've been looking pretty closely at this since I noticed it, and I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And uh, I think that's, that's pretty fucking great. 23 what? What was the time code? 2323. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this really made my day when I saw this, and... Uh, and uh, I just want to tip my hat to to Captain Picard. I tip my hat to the makeup artist who chose not to cover that up. <laughs> Boy, HD reveals all, doesn't it? Sure does. Darmok, Angela, and Tanagra. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when 
we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben, what do we have coming up on our next episode? Our next episode is the final episode of season two. A very notorious episode, Shades of Grey. Commander Riker is struck down by a deadly microbe which invades his central nervous system and attacks his brain. As soon as I blew the counter veto on you, we got a ton of email and Twitter traffic saying that I really fucked us because (laughs) this is where it should have been used. See, I think we always knew we were going to watch Shades of Grey, Turkey or No, because the idea of doing a clip show with our show is is really fun to both yeah. of us. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about it from the beginning. And I think that if we were going to invoke vetoes wisely, 
It would have been for Manhunt and the Space Irish episode that I tried to veto. I don't so, think anyone expects us to deploy our vetoes wisely. <laughs> I think they know by now. Yeah, well, uh, we, we w- did. Would get... you like to know the reception for this episode? I'd love to. Maurice Hurley, who co wrote the episode, commented that it was a piece of shit. <laughs> Terrible, just terrible, and a way to save some money. I was on my way out the door. Peter Lauriston said, never again. I don't ever want to remember it. (laughs) Ronald D. Moore called it embarrassing. (laughs) And director Rob Bowman. Oh, no. It's a Rob Bowman episode. No. Oh, you expect so much from him. Shades of Grey was basically a money-saving episode. All we shot was three days of framework, and they just stuck in flashbacks. That's all it was. So he was pretty diplomatic about it. But I think if you're him, you know you could have done better uh, with with more shoot days and better material. I certainly don't hang this on his shingle. This is not his fault. Uh, you're You're told by a studio how much money you have, and he worked within the framework he had. Like, I guess so. That's... That's pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for what we may do for this one. I think we have got some fun ideas. Yeah. I'm I mean, I'm not excited it. for the episode, but, <laughs> I mean, let's be clear. That's going to be a five-minute recap before we go on to doing the fun stuff, but... Yeah. Ouch. Ouch. And then, you know, after this, it's season three. It's smooth sailing, right? We yeah. got some great episodes coming up. I'm looking forward to. And that's when the real trouble starts for us as a comedy podcast. Yeah. Harder to make fun of the good ones. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to talk about this episode, the next episode, or any other episode we've talked about, be sure to find us on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. I'm over there as at CutForTime, and Ben's over there as at BenjaminR, A-H-R. Uh, if you would like to go to our Reddit, you can check us out on reddit as as greatest gen and also as maximum fun uh maximum fun is best behavior land and greatest gen is let your hair down do what you want to do greatest uh, gen is where you can be a piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> that banner is getting better and better have you seen they added a previa to it <laughs> a previa with little nacelles no less awesome i love and, it and wesley sticking his head out of it um Go to the Facebook group, Greatest Generation, and last but not least, if you'd like to support our show, if, uh, if you feel like you'd like to tip your Trek tenders, uh, leave us leave us a couple of scarves at MaximumFun.org slash donate. Thanks. What do we say after that? I think we just say we'll be back at you next time with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, great and or terrible, and also whatever this is. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.